Section 53 of Canada, South America, Central America, Mexico and the West Indies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Matt Stevens. The World Story, Volume 11. Canada, South America, Central America, Mexico and the West Indies. Edited by Ava March Tappan. Section 53. Given to Hospitality, 20th Century, by Dr. Wilfred Thomason Grenfell. Old Uncle Malcolm of Dovebrook, Labrador, was a world citizen. For, though born on the shores of Newfoundland, he had ranged the seven seas in his youth in every kind of craft and in every kind of climb. But his time came, as they say on this coast, as everybody's else does. For after a harder trip than usual, reaching his native shore and tired of roaming, he had sought and won the hand of as true a partner as it was ever man's good fortune to fall in with. Fishing had been Uncle Malcolm's boyhood occupation, and that of his father and forefathers before him, so he had no difficulty in finding a calling that was at once congenial and would support him nearer home. It was all the pleasanter that the industry afforded a livelihood to the bulk of his neighbours also. The shore fishery, as it was called, that is the cod fishery in their own bays in Newfoundland, was for some reason then just beginning to fail, and the bolder souls were venturing farther down north each year, crossing the Straits of Belle Isle and cruising the rock-bound coast of Labrador in search of fish. Among these it was but natural to find Malcolm. When the fall commenced and ice beset the Labrador harbours, Uncle Malcolm's craft, which he had first partially mortgaged on the strength of his savings as a sailor, and had then paid off from his voyages of fish, used always to repair to the bay and lie up for the winter, waiting the new outfit for the succeeding year. On all his trips his good wife accompanied him, cooking for him on the schooner and helping him put away the fish, enjoying, as she used to tell me, every bit of the voyage, for she too had the genius of the sea in her bones, an heirloom from many generations past. But as time went on, little ones were given to Uncle Malcolm, and it became harder and harder to close the home for six months and carry the children among the dangers of the Labrador coast, more especially as every year the snapper fishermen were pushing farther and farther north, where the coast is not only unlighted and unmarked, but also unsurveyed and uncharted. At last the question had to be settled. As with many others, should the wife and children stay home while Dad took his vessel on her perilous journeys, or should they find a place on the Labrador coast itself where the fish was plentiful, and so in the schooner should they abandon the long cruises and enjoy a home life, even if it involved the isolation of the then almost unpopulated country. To Uncle Malcolm, moving was as second nature, and the move of 500 miles one way or the other with him did not count for much. But to the wife and Ben's the breaking up of the home and the leaving of her people were matters of great difficulty. For a long while she felt she could not leave the old folks. But eventually her love for her husband rang true. To be near him being her chief end in life, and loving the simple home ties more than aught else, she at last gave her consent and the whole family migrated, settling on the shores of a huge inlet. The new home was far enough in from the open sea to have trees enough for firewood and for protection. Growing close alongside the house, 
and was near enough to the good trapping grounds to give Uncle Malcolm a chance of fairing in winter, without his having to live practically the whole time away in tilts on the fir path. Yet the chosen spot was near enough to the open sea that in their small boat he and his boys could also work nets and lines for the abundant cod fishery in the fall, while from the point jutting out below the house and forming the little boat harbour, they could also tend salmon nets and so add yet another stream to their bows for earning a living with. Excellent berries grow in extravagant plenty on the hillsides above the house, and no one could preserve them better than Aunt Anne, and along the land was enough grass to keep his goat all winter in hay. It might be supposed that with his long wanderings before the mast, the sweetness and simplicity of Uncle Malcolm's character might have been much impaired. But this was far from being the case. The strong religious upbringing of his old home had been so real, so fine, and so exemplified in the lives of his own parents, that he had imbibed his Bible teachings to as good purpose as he had his mother's milk. And that was to very considerable purpose, for Uncle Malcolm stood very well over six feet, and was far beyond the average in chest measurement. He stood as erect as a soldier, but when first I knew him, his hair and beard, both of which hung in wavy abundance around his honest, weather-beaten face, were already grey-flecked. For twenty years he has been my friend now, and if I were asked to name a man who, in spite of a strong personality and no little temper of his own, has always appeared to me to deserve the title of a man with the prefix of Christian before it, I should unhesitatingly say, you needn't go beyond Uncle Malcolm. For many years things material went well with the family, and under their hands grew up a fine house with a large, airy kitchen, which had twice to be enlarged as the family grew, and visitors and friends on pleasure cruises also grew more and more numerous. Aunt Anne's table was seldom, if ever, clear of refreshments, for no one may arrive at any time of day or night without being pressed to sit in and take a cup of tea. I've known more folks stopping off here over Sunday as they passed along the climatic road in winter with their dogs than ever I saw in a house party at a country house ten times the size. It was all very well them times, said a sententious neighbour, but nothing could stand again that of late years. When times began to get bad in the bay, half the shore took to cruising, and them that brought up at Uncle Malcolm's fairly ate him out of house and home. For well, things have changed both with the coast and with Uncle Malcolm since I first knew him, and it is that that caused me to write this story. To begin with, the nemesis that overtook the Newfoundland shore fisheries has pursued them also to Labrador, and of late the fisheries have been that uncertain that a man could no longer do as he had wished to in providing hospitality for his neighbours, though, like Lot, these good folk were ever on the lookout for strangers. The years have dealt hardly also with Uncle Malcolm. One of his lads has left him for those shores where bales of flour and gallons of molasses no longer are subjects of anxiety. One, following the footsteps of his father, has gone to sea, joined the crew of an overseen brigantine that carried fish to Spain and has not been heard of since. A third is in the States, doing well, but his letters of late years have been only scattered and there is little likelihood of Malcolm ever seeing him again. His devoted wife has gone also before him, and only his youngest boy, Anthony, is left. It would seem as if it would be no difficult matter for these two to provide for themselves all that was needful. I could not help noticing, however, as successive seasons brought in the mission vessel once more to Uncle Malcolm's door, that the house looked bearer each time, 
and though a brave show of hospitality was still made to us all on our arrival, there was now no milk for our tea, and even the bit of sugar gave place to molasses. Still the home was kept scrupulously clean, though the bright, homemade mats gradually disappeared from the floors, and all the many little tokens of a woman's handiwork followed in their wake. The maid, whom he fed and clothed in return for doing his rough work, displayed a spirit worthy of her master in her use of the scrubbing brush, soap and water, and she had succeeded in inducing such a sense of utter nakedness in the great kitchen that unavoidably a sense of sadness filled one on entering it. The old man, with the grit that always characterised him, was silent on all personal matters, and appreciating the self-respect which held him from reposing his confidences in me. I came and went without breaching the subject of his ways and means. At last, what he could not bring himself to say he put in writing, an acquirement he had to thank his early sailing days for, and I received a letter asking me to refer to these matters on my next visit. Uncle Malcolm had now passed the threescore and ten years allotted by the psalmist as the years of our strength, and in spite of his erect figure, his clear eye, his steady hand, it was not difficult to see that in his case the span of years was probably approximately correct. The hard life had told on his vitality, and he was no longer the man he had been. It's this way, doctor, he exclaimed when at last his door was shut and we found ourselves alone together. The cupboard is bare at last. There has been hard times these three years. The neighbours get that numerous they have driven up most of the fur away. I got narrower skin last winter, and how I'm going to get through this winter I can't tell. No, I owes no man anything, thank God, and what bitter flour Anthony and the maid eats don't amount to anything. But you see how it is, doctor. It isn't ourselves we have to look out for only. There isn't a family to the westward what isn't in debt to the company, nor to the eastward either, this side of the big river, and when them's hungry in winter, what's them to do? They can't get no more credit. Lots of them haven't got no credit now, and more of them has got children in plenty. What's them to do? They can't go away without a bite, when them is hungry and come his here. He would not do that, would he? And he wouldn't allow his friends to either. There was no gainsaying the difficulty. There was no denying that the Christ would have fed them. In my own mind, I couldn't help fearing that I somehow have avoided the issue, possibly by moving off the comatic track each winter, as many I knew had already done. I even ventured to suggest this, but Uncle Malcolm stood firm. No, no, Doctor, as long as God gives me a bit, I stay right here and share it with him. What I am afraid of is it won't go round this time. Still, if the master feed thousands with a few fish them times, I got that many anyhow, and he can make it go round. It wouldn't be much trusting him now after all these years if I just ran away up the bay with them fishes. It wasn't to complain, Doctor, I wrote to you. I knows the Lord will be true to his promises. But we got to do our part, and I thought I'd like somehow to speak to you to see what you thinks. Uncle Malcolm, I replied, I'm delighted you did. I was just looking for someone to get me a few thousand billets of good dry wood put on some place like your point, where the mission ship could easily call and get them. We're always short of coal away down here, and I find I can pay enough to make it worthwhile. I reckon I'll help out by giving flour for the winter, and you can place the billets right here where you can keep an eye on them. I was narrowly scrutinising his face as I spoke, and I fancied I saw an even brighter sparkle in those honest grey eyes than usual. 
a sparkle that counts far more to some folk than that of any jeweled trinkets. A short silence ensued, and being a man of few words, he shook hands and went out. Two days ago, we once more dropped our anchor off Uncle Malcolm's Point. Two years had passed, and each time the large quota of firewood had been faithfully procured and ready for us, and now once again the same problem faced us. His failing strength made him realise that to haul logs, which got ever farther from his door, and to cut bullets enough to supply his needs, had become impossible. Fourteen barrels I used last winter, Doctor, he began as he saw my eyes roaming about the great kitchen that outrivaled a mother Hubbard's for bareness. Not a bone either of beef or of pork would the neediest of visitors have found. No, nor a speck of dirt either. The place was swept and garnished like a great skeleton. Fourteen, I replied. Four, you mean. Four is more than enough for you and Anthony. Every ounce of fourteen, he said, and but for what you bought for me in the south, every barrel at eight dollars fifty a barrel. Who ate them, Uncle Malcolm? Well, we had as many as twenty-seven staying here at one weekend, and they were never a bite or sup at home. Is not us told to be given to hospitality, and that is not feeding them as they'll pay us back, is it? It's you that is the real relieving officer down here, I answered. Thank God, he replied, somewhat piped. I've not had to come to the government yet for help, though we has been on dry flour all summer. What, you are without any fats in the house for yourself? Is that true? Well, you see, Doctor, they comes round first one, and then another, for just a bit to grease the pot, till there's none left for our own pot. I thank God I doesn't have to take none till I catches what to pay for it with, but I haven't seen a bit of butter this three months. There's a few salmon and fewer fish on the land yet, I know, he went on. Is not it better in here in the bay? I asked. No, indeed. It'll be a poor lookout for winter. The best of them have not a quintal under salt yet, and the season be far slipping away. You'll simply have to shut your door to them this winter, then, whatever happens now, Uncle Malcolm. He stood and looked at me and simply said, I'll not last much longer anyhow, Doctor, and please, God, it'll never come to that. I does not want to hear him say, I was hungry and you did not feed me, a stranger and you took me not in. Well, what can you do? There be that thirty dollars what you're sending me for the wood this year, and that'll do for all Anthony and I needs. There'd have been more of that as there was other years, but I can't chop like I used to, Doctor, and the folks what visits me doesn't seem to be able to go at it. They ought to do the whole lot, but since they don't, however can you manage? For answer he had already gone to a large time-worn seaman's chest and, after carefully unlocking it, was feeling about among a mass of heterogeneous wraps and relics. At last he apparently found what he was hunting for. For closing the lid, he came back to the table with what was evidently a schoolboy's ancient pencil case. It required much persuasion to open it, as it had obviously been lying some years untouched. When at last the feat was accomplished, with his jackknife he picked out a packing of spun yarn that had been well corked into it, and then... Holding it upside down, a small roll of greenbacks fell out on the table. If them as killed the fox that bought them notes had done with theirs as I done with mine, he began, there'll be less hunger in the bay this day. There's many in the bay, doctor, that's caught two to my one always. But there they didn't know how to look after them when they had them. He picked up the notes and handed them to me. There ought to be twelve of them, he said. That makes sixty dollars, but I can't read them, so you count them. 
He was correct. The roll proved to consist of twelve old five-dollar bills. What shall I do with them? I asked. Do with them? Why, won't you buy food for me with them? What food do you want? Flour and molasses and some butter if it will reach to it. But you have flour enough already. You needn't spend all this on butter and molasses. Is that all that you have laid by for your old age? Yes, doctor. It's all I has laid up and I wants it all. Every bit, in flour and butter and molasses, that is. He corrected himself. Molasses and some butter. No, it is not me that wants it, but I've got to have it, and that's all there is about it. But, Malcolm, you are getting old and you should not cut the last plank away yet. I'm seventy-three, come Michaelmas, he said, and I feel more in that since the old woman's took and I'm thinking maybe I won't need any flour next winter. But maybe you'll be spared many winters yet. And if you spend all you have now, how will you take care of those years? He'll take care, Doctor. I guess I'll trust him. It wouldn't do not to have used that $60 and have sent folks away hungry, would it, Doctor? It would look as if I didn't have much trust in him. Doesn't the book say, I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat? What could be said? I mechanically took the $60 and put them in my pocket and was silent. It certainly seemed to be the master speaking. I had once imagined I knew what hospitality meant. End of section 53. This recording is in the public domain. Recording by Matt Stevens.